Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about helping leaders become happier. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Steve Fredlin from Minnesota. Steve is a problem solver, visionary, humanitarian, TEDx speaker, founder and lead strategist for Steve Fredlin Solutions, and the creator of The Solving Box. You can learn more about Steve at his website, stevefredlin.com, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Steve. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Hey, thanks, Linda. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, now I watched your TED Talk about putting the right peeps in your Jeep. So is it okay if we start there? And you want to explain to people what it means to put the right peeps in your Jeep? Yeah, so the, the talk was really based on an experience that I had in Africa doing a, a safari at the end of some humanitarian work. And one of the revelations that I had was, wow, this is so much better because I was surrounded by the right people. Like the experience would have been wonderful anyway, but man, having the right people with me at that time just, just made it more, you know, the, the shared passion was just so exciting, right? Uh, it's like if you look over, you know, big thing happens at a ball game and you look over and there's your, your friends are there versus doing it by yourself. And so it just started me down this journey of figuring out like, boy, when, if you could surround yourself with the right people in every area of life for whatever you're going through, you know, man, your life would just be so much more, uh, so much, you'd be so much happier, right? Your life would just be so much better. And so I, I'm on this mission to, to, for myself, but also to encourage other people to find the right people to have in your Jeep. So kind of the, the analogy of on safari, you're in a Jeep and the Jeep might go through your work world and it might go through your personal world, but get the right peeps in your Jeep. So that's the whole uh, framework for that. Oh, that is excellent. And the TED Talk was so wonderful. And I enjoyed the stories and the things that you shared and that experience of being on safari. And it made me just excited. And I also love that the reason that you were there and you mentioned briefly here is that this is part of your humanitarian efforts. And that also is one of the things that just impressed me so much about you is your humanitarian work. And how you were able to raise, was it $3 million yeah. to be able to help in Africa? And you did it with like no paid staff. And do you want to explain a little bit about what it is that you were doing and how you made that happen? Yeah, it, it was, it was you know, one of the things I'm the most proud of. I'm not really a person that's proud of myself that often. But um, yeah, we so just had really had a heart for what was going on in the AIDS pandemic at the time in sub-Saharan Africa. And just like, how can I get involved here? I just felt like I should get involved, but years would go by and I'd maybe give a little bit of money, but I never really got involved and it just kept nagging on me. You know, there's there's a million things that we could be doing in the world, but for whatever reason, that one sort of stuck with me. Like this is part of my my doing in the world. And so long story short, I ended up starting a nonprofit to do work in, in Rwanda. And so from 2009 to 2015, we took four trips over there. So I would lead different groups of people over there. Um, and yeah, you know, I was doing this on a volunteer basis. We never took a dime. We never had any overhead, nothing like that. We, but we raised like $3 million out of rural East central Minnesota with no major donors, uh, over, over the course of 12 years, uh, to actually impact what was going on over there. And so we would take trips over there and those trips would be, you know, mostly relationship building, seeing what was going on there. Um, and then at the end of each one of those, we would go on a couple of days of safari. And I was really re resistant to do that. Like, cause the first time when it came up, I'm like, this is not a vacation. Like, I don't want to give any inclination. I don't want to send that message to our supporters that we're out there on vacation, right? This is about humanitarian work. It's about transforming a community in Northern Rwanda. You know, this is what we're doing. And people said, here's the deal. You need to do this because 
first of all, you're going to see some things that you're going to need some time to unpack. Uh, and they were right. You know, when you hold 18-month-old babies that weigh eight pounds, you need something to kind of decompress from that. And so a couple of days of, of doing that sort of team building, right? You know, a chance to just laugh with people and hang out to, you know, uh, to, I guess, invest in the local economy. And my gosh, it's Africa. Like get the full experience, get the full picture of Africa. And so I was resistant, but we did that. And so each trip would involve 10 to 12 days of humanitarian work and then a couple of days uh, on safari. And, and yeah, we, we did it basically through vision. Uh, I tell people that the best leaders come out of the nonprofit sector because you, you don't have a paycheck to hold over somebody's head. You can't threaten them with, you know, less of a bonus. It's all just vision, right? These are all people that are giving money freely. They're all people that are donating time freely that they can stop any time. And so the way that you do this is you create a clear and compelling vision, and then you build ownership. You get people invested in this to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that's what creates that, that movement and momentum. And yeah, for, for 12 years, we just had uh, unbelievable engagement. And it was so much fun and so much impact that we had in Rwanda. I'm so glad for what you did and the whole idea of paying it forward. And it's interesting and kind of beautiful to hear that internal turmoil about, am I allowed to have any fun? Am I allowed yeah. to have any, any, to be receiving anything for my good works here? And I love that the answer was yes. And isn't it wonderful that our service can be a win-win type of a situation and how that makes us feel fulfilled when we are giving to something greater than ourselves and that we are, um, I don't know, how, how else did you put it? That was just that beautiful. And some of the stories that you shared, like who, who was it that fed the giraffe out of his mouth? So, so Mark did that, yeah. How, how did yeah, that I mean, turn out? It, it was amazing. It was absolutely, I mean, the whole thing was just amazing. So yeah, that was on our first trip in 2009. And before we, we actually went down to the Serengeti on that trip. But before we did, we stopped at like a, an animal refuge in Nairobi, Kenya. And they had a place where you could actually walk up and go up high into a stand. And then the giraffes would come up there and you could feed them. Right. So there's, it's like, you know, if you're in Minnesota and you're feeding deer or something like that, you can, you can give some pellets to the giraffe, which is super amazing. Right. Their tongues are like three feet long or something. Way Pretty long. impressive. But so Mark puts, puts a, puts some of it in his mouth. Right. And then good. The giraffe comes up and takes it right out of his mouth, you know, basically kisses him on the, on the lips. And uh, it was, I mean, it's just so much fun, but that's, that's part of being surrounded by the right people. Like I love to have fun. I love to laugh. I love to have the energy. And if I was with a bunch of kind of stodgy people that didn't really want to have any fun, it still would have been a great experience, but man, having Mark do that, like that's the story. Now that's every time I see him, I think of that and you know, we have that moment together. And so, yeah, that was, that was a pretty fun moment. That is so awesome. Okay, so my giraffe story, which did not take place in Africa because I'm not that cool, but it was at a zoo and um, I was there and the giraffes were so close. I thought, oh my gosh, it's like I yeah. could reach out and touch them. And I put my hand up and this giant black tongue came and wrapped around my entire hand and sucked up my arm. And I screamed because I was not expecting that. And everyone that was with me laughed at me. But then I must have touched my eye or something because I my eyes got swollen shut and I had this. So I, I learned I am allergic to giraffe spit. 
So probably it would be best for me not to feed the giraffes from my mouth, just, you know, in case of future reference that that ever comes well, it's up. Well, good to know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, we're constantly learning about ourselves, right? Right, so right. That now. And that's so something. So feed a, feed a giraffe off your mouth. No, that's no, awesome. that probably wouldn't turn out super awesome for me. But I love the way that you put things in such fun terms, like putting the right peeps in your Jeep. And you talk about leadership, like don't lead like you're choosing toothpaste. Can you help explain to me what on earth you're talking about? Yeah, well, you know, as as humans, I think we're so predisposed to choosing the default in in everything that we do. And I I talk about toothpaste because most of us have never done like a big, you know, uh, taste test and read all the documentation on what's most effective, right? When we're choosing our toothpaste, we don't do that, right? We're not going to sit down, oh, is it Colgate, AIM, Crest, Pepsodent, Sensodyne? Which one tastes the best? Which one's most effective? And let's let's figure out the optimal. You know, we don't do that. We we choose toothpaste based on what we grew up with or what we married into, whatever that is. You know, it's not that logical. And I think a lot of times we we live our life making decisions and we lead like we're choosing toothpaste. We just choose the default. What's been done before? What's always been done? You know, and that's what we we tend to do. And I think that's because we are predisposed to choosing the default, right? We're hardwired that way. I think about there's been some great studies around how humans choose defaults, but one of the great examples to me is organ donation. Uh, if you're in a country where organ donation is not, you know, the, not the default, like in the United States, organ donation is not the default. You have to opt in to become an organ donor. Well, I mean, maybe, you know, five to 15 to 20% of people become organ donors in those countries. But there's other countries where the default is that you are an organ donor and you need to opt out of that. Well, they have like 90 to 95% of their people are organ donors. So what's different? It's the same logical decision, right? Do I want to donate my organs or do I not? But the countries where the default is that you're not, very few people do. In countries where the default is you are, most people do. And so I think we, we tend to do that because we don't like to choose the box that says I'm going to be different than everybody else. Well, if that's what everybody else is doing, I'm just going to do that. And so I think we're predisposed to doing things by default. And I think that carries into our life and into our leadership where we just do things, you know, how should we do this? Well, that's the way it's always been done. You know, Linda did this, did it this way, so I'm just going to do it this way. Um, and I think part of what's embedded in that as a leader is that then if things go wrong, I can say, well, that's the way that Linda always did it. So I'm not really at risk, right? But if I change things, if I change that bookshelf behind you to be a metal bookshelf and everybody complains about the metal bookshelf, well, now it's on me, right? Because I'm the one that changed it. If I kept it a wooden bookshelf, I could say, well, Linda always had a wooden bookshelf. So I think I think we tend to do that because we think it's a lower risk uh, play is to do the default. But what happens is we when we choose things by default, when we live a life, when we lead by default, a lot of times that's not aligned with who we really are. And so it, it causes this misalignment between who we are and how we're living our life. And those accumulate into what is unhappiness. Wow. Okay. I am loving this. I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. And I'm trying to think of instances where I do exactly what you're talking about and instances where I have stepped outside of that default and had all those same concerns that you mentioned that if this doesn't go well, everyone's going to look at me. Everyone's going to blame me. Everyone is going to say, oh, well, the reason that this didn't work is because you didn't follow the default. And it is, it creates some vulnerability. And that's kind of scary. So how can we have that confidence to be able to um, 
do what we really think is right rather than just following the default. I think everything starts with clarity. I think I think the biggest thing that we're lacking as individuals and as business leaders is clarity. What do we really want? Who are we really? Where do we want to go? How do we want to get there? Who do we want to get there with? I think when we lack clarity, it's much easier to just take the default decisions. Because if we're intentional about our decisions, what are they lined up with? If we're not really clear on what we're trying to do, you know, it's, it's the Alice in Wonderland thing. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Um, and so the confidence to make intentional decisions comes from confidence in the clarity of what you're trying to do and who you are. So if you look at your business, for example, or if you look at your life and you can really say, this is who I am and this is what I want. This is really where I'm trying to go. Like that's really it. Then those decisions become a little bit easier because you know which decision is going to get you in that direction. If you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't really matter what toothpaste you choose, right? You just choose the default is fine. That's that's fine with me. If you don't really know that you want to have an office that's all metal furniture, then yeah, whatever the bookshelf is right now, that's the bookshelf. And so I think it's very easy to rely on defaults when you don't really know what you're trying to do. And as I work with small business owners, like it's amazing how many people don't really have clarity on what they're trying to do with their business. I think people just think, well, I'm just going to start a business. They don't realize that you you can have very different motivations and very different end goals and visions for that. And that should then determine how you actually carry out your business. And it's the same thing in our lives. Wow. Okay. I love that. And that brings me back to a comment that you made earlier about how the best leaders that you meet are those who work with the, the nonprofit and the charity type of a thing, because you know that they're working with a vision. They know what they want. And so getting that clarity, isn't it interesting how many issues when we talk about lots of different things, it comes back to self-awareness. What do I want? Who am I? And questions like that. Do you have any suggestions to help people figure out that self-awareness? Who am I? And what do I want? Like you're talking to a business, you know, I want to start a small business. Why? I mean, how do you help them get down to why? Because why you want to start a business might be different than why I want to start a business. Yeah. And people don't even realize there's different options, right? I mean, do you want to make as much money as possible? Do you want as much free time? Do you want to leave an asset to your children? Do you want to have impact in the community? Like, what are you really trying to do? And, and people don't know that. And I think, yeah, so how do you get there? I think there's two pieces. There's if you're a business owner or in a career, what do you want from your business and career? And I think you just need somebody to, to ask you those questions and to not settle for that first answer. It's, it's sort of the seven whys or start with why from Simon Sinek. It's about just why, why, why? Getting the motivations. And I think it's frustrating, but if you can get there, if you can break through that frustration and actually get crystal clear on what your ultimate goal is for your business or for your career or for your schooling or for your relationships, whatever it might be, man, that's where, that's where it's gold. And now every decision can be based on that. So part of that is just is, is, is sort of stripping away all of the expectations on you, all of what society says you should do with your business, and really getting the heart of, of what do you want from your business but that is aligned then with who are you as a person. Um, and so whether you're a business owner or not, it's so important to understand who are you. And that's kind of what you were getting at. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that. You can get outside help, a therapist, a friend, a mentor, whoever. You can also do personality tests. Uh, I used to think personality tests were terrible. You know, and what I found, I used to, I'm an analytical person. I would just like, whenever they said, oh, you have to take this, whatever, I'm like, this is terrible. What's the point of this? Well, what I've found is that there's a lot that can be drawn from that, especially if you take a number of tests and look for the themes in those. 
and see what resonates with you. Because I think there's a lot of those themes that kind of run through there. You're like, man, I didn't even really realize that about myself, but that is so true. Uh, and so that might give you some more clues. So however it is that you can do that internal soul searching and figure out who you really are, uh, I'd say do it. It's it's worth it so much. And then once you have this clarity, once you understand who you are, what you want, how you run the business, that's not enough, right? Clarity without intentionality is just sort of dreaming. I forget the actual quote that's there. If you have a vision without action, it's just dreaming, right? I've got a vision for the future and you don't take any action. Well, you're just dreaming. You're just hoping. Just like in the same way, if you don't have vision, but you have a lot of activity, a lot of action, you're just passing time. You need to combine those two things. So the first step is getting really clear on who you are, what you want, what kind of business you're operating, how you want to do business, where you want to go, when you want to retire, all of these things. Get that clarity and now be intentional about lining up those decisions, those strategies, those solutions to that clarity. Oh, man, you are amazing. Okay, so from that, <laughs> I'm picking up so many things. One is you kind of made a distinction between the difference of busyness and productivity. Yes. And busyness is just the action. And productivity is the action combined with the intention that we are moving somewhere. I'm not just spinning my wheels. I am moving forward. And I think that's very important because a lot of people feel like I need to be busy. That is what productivity looks like. And that's not necessarily true. I also loved as you were describing how to get this clarity and how to get this self-awareness that there is more than one right way to do it. And I love that because I believe there's more than one right way to do things. And so I love that you keep that open and that this particular path might work best for this person and that particular path might work best for this person. So here are the options. Here's your tool belt. Now, what is going to work best for you? And I also love that as you're working through that self-awareness, you stripped off the layers of other people's expectations. Because I think a lot of times people stick with other people's expectations and they don't even know what they want because, you know, maybe somebody thinks I should make a certain amount of money because that's where my value is. Or maybe somebody thinks, maybe my family thinks I have to go into this particular career because that's what they expect. And so it takes courage, I think, to let those go and then peel off those layers and say, okay, now I'm to me. What do I want? And that, just getting to that step, I think is really scary before you even figure out what it is that you do want to be able to say what I want matters. It, it's scary and it's hard because we are inundated with that message of what we should want, you know, and there's, uh, I forget what, which author said that, but we allow ourselves to get should on, right? You know, <laughs> you, know you know, you gotta be careful there, you know, but you know, we, you know, you should do this. I should do this. We should, you know, should, 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 we, we had should on all the time. And I think that's what happens in our life. And I think that's what I realized about 15 years ago when I reached my, you know, my big moment of realizing that, man, my life was amazing on paper, right? I had Fortune 500 company, been promoted, my relationship with my wife, my kids, everything was amazing on paper, middle-class white male in the United States, right? All the privilege, everything, everything in, in the world uh, was at my disposal, you know, perfect, perfect life on paper. But somebody forgot to tell my heart, that I had a perfect life, Ooh. right? I had this perfect life, but it wasn't my life. And part of that made me feel really guilty because like, what right do I have to complain? Everything is perfect. Why should I complain? So I had this misery of twofold. One was that I was not really living my life. I was living the life that everybody expected me to, to live. My family was proud of me. Society thought I was doing great. I was climbing the corporate ladder. Like everything 
on paper and what society would tell me was great, but it wasn't my life. But then I felt guilty about the possibility of complaining about that. Like I'm mis- I was completely miserable in that good life, but I felt like I couldn't complain because what right did I have to complain when my life was so good on paper? And so yeah, I call it the good life trap. You're just kind of in this good life, but you're trapped. And I think a lot of people feel that way in the corporate world or in small business, nonprofits, wherever it is, where they feel like, man, life is good. I hate, I hate it. I'm, I'm miserable, but I can't complain. And so we just kind of stay in that space. And so, yeah, I think we need to get to that point where it's, where we say, what do I really want? You know, and, and it's like you said, it's, it's scary. Um, and it's really, really difficult because how do you strip away for me at the time, 35 years of, you know, success and what the world, you know, expects of me, what my family wants of me and all of, all of this baggage to say, this isn't really me. That's tough to do. Way tough. So how did you do it? And what made you realize that you needed to do it? Just that feeling misery and that discontinuity between the paper and the heart? Yeah, day, day after day. So I was, I'm in Minneapolis and I'd spend, I was at work in downtown and I'd spend my lunch hours walking across the Stone Arch Bridge. And I can remember this so carefully going, what is wrong with me? Just tell, talking out loud to myself, like, what is wrong with me? And I'm sure people thought I was crazy, but I'm like, what, you know, what is going on here? My life is so great and I was miserable. And so for me, the step was to reach out to a person who I considered a mentor. I didn't have a formal mentoring relationship, but he was a professor of mine as I went through my MBA program. And I just reached out. I said, Paul, I don't know what to do here. Like, I am so confused. I need help because I didn't want to tell my wife. I don't want her getting nervous about, you know, oh, man, is Steve unhappy at work? Because, right, that's not what society tells us. You know, and I didn't know who to call. So I called Paul. uh, And within about 15 minutes after we met for dinner, he had had it figured out. He figured out that, uh, yeah, he said, all right, just here's what he did. He said, all right, tell me this. Before you got promotion, what were you, well, tell me your five strengths. He said, all right, remember we went through the MBA program. We did strengths finders. Do you remember your five strengths? I said, yeah, learner, learner, relator, strategic, self-assurance, whatever. Um, he said, okay, before you got promoted, how much were you utilizing your strengths? Man, I was maxed out on all of them. He said, now, since you got promoted, how much are you utilizing your strengths? Like, not at all. He said, the issue is that you're grieving the loss of your strengths. You are no longer, you know, who you are is no longer lined up with who, what you're being asked to do. And you're at this place of disjoint. That's where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're there's so much dissonance. There's so much misalignment. So anyway, so I, I talked to Paul and he helped me figure that out. Like started to realize that, wow, it actually doesn't matter that my job lines up with who I really am. Uh, that, that alignment actually matters. And so that started me on this journey of figuring out uh, who I really am and what I really want out of my career. Paul sounds absolutely amazing. So when you talk about helping leaders to be happy, is this part of the journey? Huge part. Yeah. I mean, it's really, to me, happiness is really the intersection of what do we want and what do we have? Like, it's, it's, it's just not that complicated. Like, if you think about anything in your life that you're happy about, it's because things probably are how you want them to be. And if anything that you're unhappy about is probably where things aren't how you want them to be. And so the, the challenge is if we want to be happier, like foundationally happier, you know, we have all situations, you know, we can go to a comedian, make us laugh. That makes us happy. But like this foundational happiness, I think is really at the intersection of when our desired reality is lined up with our actual reality. And so the question is, how do we get more and more of that overlap uh, in that? And so part of that is clarity. You know, who are we? What do we really want? What is our desired reality? Like really, truly, what is that? And then the intentionality of how do we line up our desire, our actual reality to line up with our desired reality? So. 
it's all, you know, all kinds of words and graphics and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, what it is is just helping people understand clarity. Who are you? What do you want? And then what are we going to do in your life to get that, uh, to align to that? I love that. And I love that when you get things really down, that it can be explained simply. And I love you yeah. talk about it's just this intersection, just right here. And that is huge. So like you said, easy, easy to say, not as easy to accomplish, but at least um, if you're clear, if we have clarity and what we want, we have a whole lot better chance of getting there. Yeah. And for some people, if you think about, okay, think about the circle of my desired reality, whatever that is. And, you know, the circle of actual reality and, you know, to the extent that they're not aligned very well, that's where you're going to be unhappy. But where that intersection is, where things are how you want them to be, that's where happiness is. And I think for some people, what they need to do is be more intentional about pushing their actual reality to line up with their current reality. So things like maybe you need to do things different in your business or in your career or in your schooling. Maybe you need to go back to school. Maybe you need to uh, change a relationship, whatever it is. Maybe you need to take some action so that you're, what you're actually experiencing is more lined up with who you are and what you want. So for some people, that is their primary issue. For some people, they maybe have a, uh, their, what their desired reality is, is unrealistic, right? If I, if my whole life dream is to play in the NBA and be a super basketball player, like if that's my whole thing right right now, as a 52-year-old man with knee surgeries and a, a metal plate in my hip and I can't jump more than two inches, like, but if that's my dream, if that's my desired reality, I'm going to be so disappointed and unhappy my the rest of my life. And so I need to change my my vision of what my desired reality is. And so for some people, they need to change that. And I think for some people, they need to recognize that in that intersection, right, where your current reality equals your desired reality. And I know this is getting kind of whatever, but gratitude, like where things do overlap, where you are happy, man, if you can sort of magnify that with gratitude, I think a lot of us, we skip over that part. Like, yep, that's how I want it to be. We just kind of take it for granted that that's how it's always going to be. Be grateful for how the, the good things in your life, the good people in your life. And that does actually increase our happiness significantly by just being grateful. And I think that's part of, you know, my, my trips to Rwanda. I've learned so much about that, about gratitude. Every time I turn on a water faucet, I'm grateful that I have running water now. So for the last, whatever, 13 years, every time I turn on a faucet, I'm like, this is amazing. And I think just those little things like that uh, make me happier. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, there's one more little line that you gave that I'm curious about, and that's that you're not a ball. Would you <laughs> mind explaining that one? Yeah, you probably saw I've actually got a tennis ball here as a reminder uh, for me. And I think that, that comes back to how we make decisions. I think so many of us make decisions by default, right? And it's, it's when we do that, it's like we are a tennis ball. So if I take this tennis ball and I set it down on the floor, it's literally not going to move unless some outside force moves it. Right. Somebody else comes and picks it up. I accidentally kick it. The the house burns down. The wind blows, you know, whatever it might be. But, you know, it's this idea of an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless there's some outside forces introduced. This is the Isaac Newton, one of his principles of motion. And I think we live our lives like we're a ball. We just sort of sit around waiting for the wind to blow, waiting for uh, somebody to come kick us or pick us up. And we hope it's in the right direction. And I think that's living life by default. That's sort of just existing and hoping for things to happen. And I think hope is a powerful thing, right? Like I don't want to reduce the the power of hope, but I think hope is not really a strategy for how we want to live our lives, for how we want to get somewhere in business, right? I mean, I think we need to be intentional. And so I encourage people, 
you are not a ball. This ball is going to sit here forever until something else moves it. But we're not a ball. We have that internal agency. We have that control. We can we can start. We can stop. We can change directions without some outside force being involved. And so I want to challenge people to take that action. You can start something new on your own. You have that agency. You don't have to wait for somebody to start something that, that you can then jump onto. And the same thing, you can stop something too. You can stop a relationship. You can stop a product line. You can stop a service. You can stop going to school, right? I mean, you can do that. You can change directions. And I think people don't, don't grab hold of that. They don't realize it. And so we end up just being caught up in the waves of whatever, whatever the world is, is dictating for us or whatever other people are doing for us. And we just follow along like we're a ball rather than making our own decisions. That is so amazing. And that goes back to that idea of the intentionality and choosing who we are. And I think if we haven't gone through that process of figuring out who we are and what we want, then the easy default mode is I'm a ball. And then we get to take the, the burden of responsibility and brush it off and say, that is other people's problems. I am the product of my circumstances and there's nothing I can do about it. And how empowering it is to say, no, you are not a ball. You have the power to start. You have the power to stop. And I think that is such a beautiful message. Thank you, Steve. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover before we close today? Yeah, I mean, just just encourage people. It is about that clarity and about that intentionality. And I would say just going back to kind of the right peeps in your Jeep, surround yourself with those people that are going to pull that out of you, that are going to actually... Uh, contribute to you being an individual that are going to ask you questions about what you want out of life or out of your business or out of your nonprofit. And, you know, find those people that are really going to encourage you, mentor you, be with you through the through thick and thin. Man, it's just there, there's no substitute for surrounding yourself with the right people. So, and again, the right people for you might be different from the right people for me, but who is it for you? Who's going to bring out the best in who you are? So that would be my final encouragement to people is if you don't have those people, Figure out who are those people and ask them. Like, I think we're, we're afraid to like ask people like, oh, they would never want to do that. They would. People love to be asked to be in your life. So be bold, be courageous, ask people in your life that you need in your life, and maybe even uh, exit some people that shouldn't be in your life. Thank you. And thank you for at least this time being one of the peeps in my Jeep to help me to be able to learn. And I really appreciate your time today. Well, thanks, Linda. You're, you're my Jeep now, too. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Tom Baudet. He said, They say a person needs just three things to be truly happy in this world. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. Today, I invite you to choose to become happier and to do something about it. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.